Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Cody Payne. Uh, Cody Payne is with Colliers International. Uh, his group specializes in uh, brokerage of industrial and office properties. Uh, he's done over the years uh, of his career of 15 years, he's done about 600 transactions. Uh, today, he's in Dallas-Fort Worth market, and he manages a team of eight people. And I appreciate your time, Cody. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure to host you. I know uh, Fort Worth and Dallas in general is an extremely thriving market. A lot of industries and head corporations have been moving in. So I can't imagine how busy you are. So I, I absolutely do appreciate your time. Uh, give us a little background, Cody, as to uh, you know, how you got started with uh, you know, multifamily or office properties in general, and how you kind of transition yourself into you know, the brokerage side of things. Like today, you manage one of the busiest groups, Colliers International is, is a, you know, it's an absolute powerhouse when it comes to uh, industrial and office property leasing and things like that. Give us some background about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I appreciate your time. Um, so I actually started my career in the early 2000s. I was leasing uh, office and industrial buildings across the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, I did that for about 10 years and slowly uh, but surely started transfer forming and doing a few more investment sales every year and doing more and more. And, uh, you know, a lot of the guys on my team have a good, strong leasing and management background as well. And so uh, you know, office and industrial is a very knowledge intensive, uh, a lot of moving parts in a lot of these deals. So that's why I always think it's uh, key to have, you know, good guys that know the industry front, back, forward, every which way from Sunday. And so, uh, but yeah, no, I've been in the industry since then. And, um, you know, I've uh, been doing investments for a long time. And uh, we actually transferred from another firm uh, about a year or so ago and uh, joined up with Colliers International. And so, uh, we're rocking and rolling out here in North Texas and, and got a lot of good things going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know. I mean, the amount of growth that uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, you know, all that submarket in general has experienced uh, pr pretty much over the last decade or so. I can't imagine how, how busy you must be. I'm, I'm sure, you know, so I appreciate your time today there, Cody. Um, what I was going to ask you, Cody, there is that, um, what goes into details about, you know, like, let's say, let's take industrial properties, you know, I know office is as, as much complex as well. So could you describe us that what you look for a industrial properties in general to see, say that, hey, this is a good property, maybe it will be fit for, you know, a logistic company or perhaps a, uh, some other industry uh, for that matter. Give us some tidbits about it. No, absolutely. And, you know, a good example is we're actually working with a very good group out of California right now that 
uh, is in a 1031 that we're helping them place out here. And what they want is a good uh, industrial building that if they lose the tenant, they can release it, which that's always the most important thing is the, sure. the releaseability, whether it's multifamily, self-storage, anything. And so absolutely, you want the uh, fast, fast lease up as much as possible. Absolutely. And right. so kind of what we're guiding these guys and we've got them uh, working on a deal right now um, where the uh, building's about 80,000 square feet, but the bays are about 20,000 square feet each. So your tenant size is about 20,000 square foot wow. uh, each. And so um, we had them do that with a good tenant size where there's a lot of, you know, out in, the, out in that area around the FW uh, International Airport, there's a lot of 20,000 square foot tenants out there. Sure, running around. Sure. So, mm -hmm. so we said, you know, get this. So you got a high velocity of tenants, but also make sure that the building has, you know, where each tenant has a dock high, mm -hmm. great door and mm -hmm. a grade level door. So they can back up an 18 wheeler. They can back up a box truck. Um, and, you know, also keeping those ceilings over 20 feet is uh, very important with a lot of the industrial companies that are working out, uh, out and around there right now. You know, they look for a little bit of taller ceilings. So staying away from the stuff that, you know, is 16 feet uh, and that doesn't have the parking and, you know, accessibility is always key for industrial. Now, it doesn't, that, that doesn't mean it has to be on the freeway. You know, sure. it doesn't have to be, you know, visible, but sure. having good accessibility for the trucks, for the workers for them to get on major freeways. Because, um, you know, the building that they're looking at, it, you couldn't see it from the freeway, but sure. they've got mm -hmm. great accessibility to mm -hmm. three major freeways in Dallas-Fort Worth. Absolutely, That's absolutely. That's what those trucks need. Right, right. And a and little bit of that I know is, as you pointed out there also, is that how close or how quick can you get on the freeway? And, and you, since you pointed out there that it's close to the airport, oh boy, that's, that's, that's huge right there, you know. Yeah. So good, good. And, and I know, uh, Cody, uh, speaking of amenities and value add and things, you know, we like uh, uh, in our podcast, we uh, predominantly sometimes talk about multifamily and sometimes self storages. I, I haven't had the pleasure of hosting a guest like you where we are delving into like, let's say the industrial or the office properties. So I, I totally appreciate your expertise uh, today here. Um, speaking of the value add and the amenities, you know, um, I know sometimes we say that the, hey, industrial is just kind of like a, for lack of a better word, it's just a four walls warehouse and stuff, right? So could you maybe give us some, uh, uh, you know, ideas about how you have seen operators adding value to these industrial buildings? Like, you know, what are some of the things that uh, someone can look at saying that, hey, if you purchase this, you can do, uh, you know, X, Y, Z, and perhaps, uh, you know, uh, increase the NOI on these buildings. So could you tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, no. So when it comes to amenities, obviously office buildings are really the project type that you really amenitize out, you know, kind of like sure. a multifamily complex. When it comes to industrial, I mean, there's a few niche specific things that you can do. You know, there was mm -hmm. a, a project in North Fort Worth that a guy had that the building didn't have any uh, dock high space. They had grade level, ground level mm -hmm. uh, doors, but no dock high. So, you know, um, they took a section of that land that they had at the back uh, dug a trench down and made a good dock high level for trucks to back into. So then they were able to service it. And yeah, those tenants had to get forklifts to be able to kind of go back and forth. But, uh, you know, doing that, um, you know, power is very important to a lot of these guys, especially the larger tenants that, you know, are manufacturing and have machinery. Mm -hmm. So having the right, uh, type of power there is very important, but, you know, as far as, uh, you know, uh, amenitization, you know, like an office building, having, you know, an onsite deli, 
you know, uh, having a, a co-working type of component there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more amenities you can do uh, to office because the common areas are utilized so much more. Um, you know, as far as industrial, it's, it's really just assisting with the accessibility and flexibility of the space. Interesting, interesting. And, and uh, help us understand, Cody, that how is the zoning dealt with? Like, you know, I know on the residential side, uh, you know, depending on the county, you can have uh, built the duplexes or the town, uh, you know, attached townhouses or, you know, single family and things like that. Uh, give us some insights into how zoning plays into the categorization of these industrial buildings and then uh, what type of use uh, people can do out of that. Absolutely. So, you know, North Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth, they're uh, a lot more strict on uh, zoning than other cities in Texas are, like per se Houston and some of the other guys. Mm-hmm. You know, out here, if you're on industrial, I mean, you got a couple types of zoning. You got heavy industrial, you got light industrial. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got general F1 commercial, and so the light industrial is going to be the smaller, uh, the smaller bay tenants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that really aren't using a lot of space. That maybe have almost as much office as they do warehouse. Maybe mm-hmm. a flex like type, twenty foot base. You think? Mm-hmm. It could be, but maybe somebody that doesn't have as many trucks coming in, and so. Mm-hmm. But when you have a a large distribution center, you know, manufacturing facility, those guys can get into the heavier zoning. And so, uh, you know, getting change of use and uh, whatnot out here, if you're looking to buy land and build, you know, I always tell people if they've never done it in North Texas, it's, it's more important than ever to hire a developer uh, or a contractor that, uh, that knows it, understands. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not like Houston, like I said, where you can go out there and kind of plop somewhere wherever you want. You know, they're they're a little more lenient out here. They're very, very strict. Interesting, interesting. Another thought that comes to mind, uh, Cody, is that, um, you know, the the a lot of times when we think about parking, I think the car parking or your truck parking comes to mind, right? But when you s- suddenly start thinking about industrial, you know, it's, it's a whole new world as to, you know, what type of... Uh, logistics uh, things you will have what type of clearances or what type of variance you may need uh, how much parking uh, uh, would be needed give us some insight into like if you're looking at an industrial building like i don't know i mean if that's a, a legacy building from 70s or 60s and the code may have been updated now and someone doesn't know, uh, give us an idea as to how important parking is, because I know that plays a tremendous important role into, uh, you know, what sort of use you can do, what sort of, uh, you know, equipment you can bring in uh, and things like that. Give us some tidbits about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I'd say probably one of the better things about Texas is uh, the amount of land that we have. So a lot of these buildings are built with, you know, good amount of land. And so, uh, the parking is key. Uh, you know, buildings can't get grandfathered in, but, you know, like per se, if you're going to build a new office building, mm-hmm. many cities are going to make you have five parking spaces per thousand square feet that you build. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing to keep in mind. Now, on the industrial side, that's going to vary between city. They're not as heavy on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, with the amount of land that you're buying on those, you do have the ability to do that. But as far as saying if you bought a building from the 70s and mm-hmm. you had a tenant come in and they needed more parking, um, I, I don't think a lot of times you won't have an issue with the city forcing you to do that. They'll maybe mm-hmm. have, uh, they'll maybe force a, uh, fire code or a fire sprinkler system or something of that nature. I've heard a lot more than, uh, really exercising the parking requirements. And so, uh, but as far as parking goes, really where you see that mostly is going to be in the office sector. 
um, especially with people uh, trying to, well, before the whole COVID thing, pack as sure. many people into office space as they could. Uh, and so they used a lot of parking. You know, I know we got one building that we're working on right now where a tenant has uh, literally 10, they need 10 per thousand square feet of parking. And so wow. uh, that's mm -hmm. a lot, that's a lot. And so, right. but that's on the office side, but no, on the industrial side, it's, it's, it's actually very, very rare that we ever see parking issues. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Now uh, switching gears a little bit about office properties, Cody, what, what are some of the key things that someone should look at in office properties or what, what sort of demand do you see right now? Like, is it class A office that's in demand or something like a class B that's being, you know, sort of refurbished to look like a class A? What would give, give us some ideas about what sort of size class that uh, you are seeing in the market space right now? Well, the asset class on the office side that is most sought after is, uh, you know, B class value add in good areas. Or I see. So just, just similar parallels to multifamily. Or very, very, very similar. You know, I know uh, we've got a good multifamily group here. And, you know, what they tell me a lot is people love class B and class A areas, which that's getting harder and harder to find. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, but also focusing on areas that are up and coming to that. And so... Uh, but finding good value add, you're not going to find much of that on class A uh, out here right now, but you will find it on class B and C. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good opportunities out there, um, especially out here. And there's a lot of construction on the office side. I think uh, I read somewhere there's about 7 million square feet still uh, being constructed out here in Dallas Fort Worth. So there's more and more being constructed. But if you're looking for a good value add deal, there's mm -hmm. really good uh, product on the Dallas County side. Um, of the class B office space to get something that is, you know, maybe 50, 60% occupied and mm -hmm. uh, put some good money into what people need to keep in mind is office is a very, very expensive product, uh, very expensive asset class to operate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the most expensive because of the utilities, maintenance, common areas, and, and uh, all those components. And so uh, those are one thing that, you know, people need to be aware of. But yeah, anytime we have a really good class B office building in a good area, it usually goes pretty quickly. Interesting, interesting. Now I know, um, I mean, typically uh, in a retail or industrial, you have longer leases, right? Like typically it's like 10 years and things like that with provisions to increase about, you know, five-year five increments and things like that. Uh, and I have seen uh, and heard from other brokers that office leases tend to be slightly you know lesser is that is that your experience like a three-year five-year lease things like that is that general the practice uh, on the office leasing side for class b i think you'll see that all the time you'll see you know two three four five-year leases that'll be mm -hmm. your mix you know if you've got a nice class a office building or a, a single tenant net lease call center or something like that in Los Plains, i mean those guys can sign a 10-year lease all day long a lot of times but like this building that we're in here you know mm -hmm. this is a class b office building and uh, I think the majority of your rollover is going to be anywhere from three to five year leases that are done here. And so, uh, but that's a good way to do it because uh, as far as the office market goes, uh, especially in some of these areas, it can change and rates can increase um, pretty quickly over time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some areas are a little slower, but uh, as far as the class B office space goes, you usually don't see much over five years. Interesting. So uh, I want to shift gears a little bit, uh, Cody, and um, kind of help us understand that, let's say if I call you saying, hey, Cody, uh, I'm an investor. Uh, I, I'm looking to invest uh, uh, in a 
office or an industrial space, or let's say office for that matter, right? And I call you up, say, hey, Cody, uh, by the way, I looked at this uh, building and I see this listing at uh, one, two, three, uh, you know, industrial parkway, our, our group is looking to invest. Uh, what, what would you advise as a new, novice investor that what are some of the elements that someone should look at it uh, in an office deal? Well, and let me tell you, that's something that is very, very key and important, especially if you're coming from a different asset class. And so right. office can be very, very tricky. And so what I always tell people is, look, you know, we got to look at the building. We got to see how the tenants are set up mm -hmm. and how are the vacancies set up? Because some areas, you know, like the mid cities of Dallas, Fort Worth, mm -hmm. you're not going to have many tenants over 4,000 square feet out there. So if all your vacancies are over 4,000 square feet, they can sit for a long time. Uh, you know, or mm -hmm. if you got to, and so understanding your, your space size and the tenant needs in that area mm -hmm. is going to be very, very important, uh, more important than, you know, most of other, the aspects, uh, looking at, you know, just like multifamily where maybe some of the expenses can be cut, what rents are a little lower than others and, mm -hmm. and how do you amenitize your building and how do you put yourself ahead of the competing buildings? Cause at the end of the day, a lot of these class B or a office buildings, they're in sub markets that have a lot of the same buildings out and around there. And so you got to figure out how do you distinguish yourself? And so sure. uh, mm -hmm. knowing those items is very, very key, but knowing the space size and the tenant size that command those areas are very key. Cause I know a guy who owns a building up in uh, a part of Las Plainas that doesn't command a lot of larger tenants. And they've had a 50,000 square foot vacancy of office space for over Ouch. five years, for over five years. Ooh. And they need to chop it down. I, you know, uh, that's something that they need to do for a long time, but I think they're just trying to wait it out, which is not, that's not the game that we like to tell our investors. We're, we're not the sit and wait kind of guys. We, we want you to make the right decisions. And so understanding wow. the market mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what the tenant sizes uh, command and run in that market will put you ahead of everybody else. Interesting. So uh, in that example, Cody, that do you advise someone to say that, hey, this is fairly large space for the sub market and the demand is just not there, right? So in, in, in those cases, like you're looking at almost like a surgery that you're trying to maybe perhaps uh, compartmentalize the space uh, and, you know, maybe divide into like manageable five. 5,000, 7,000, 10,000 square foot. Would that, would that be uh, sort of a correct way to look at it? Absolutely. So we just actually, we sold a building up in North Dallas and mm -hmm. the suite sizes were 10,000 square feet. Right. But right. the area that that building was in, mm -hmm. when you run a search and you see the movement of all the tenants, a majority of that movement size was around two to 3,000 square feet. So we advised that guy to chop those larger spaces up into smaller spaces and do some spec suites. And mm -hmm. they've had a tremendous amount of success by doing that. And so that's, like I said, but that's very, very important is knowing what's moving in that area so that you can tailor to it. Because if you sit there and wait for that larger fish, the problem with that larger fish is you are going to compete, compete, compete more than anybody. Sure. Whenever there's a large tenant out there and they're looking at your building and two others, then you're starting you're, you're going to start getting into the free rent game the ti game the who can pay what game and that's not the game that i like playing right right and you said that some of those terms very correctly there is that uh for listeners who may not know ti is the tenant improvements and unlike multifamily ti tenant improvements are some things that the landlord promises the tenants to uh, reimburse uh, for those, like, you know, uh, whether that's just building improvements that the tenant has to do 
to kind of, uh, you, you know, set up their business. And I know uh, because I own a 10,000 square foot uh, space, uh, we just kind of going through the build out and everything where I exactly know coding that I, I can relate to what you're saying, where the uh, the space, the build out, the tenant improvements and the sort of the leasing and the negotiation back and forth that goes on. Uh, you know, landlord has to worry about, hey, what's my freeway? How can I best optimize the space to give more exposure, things like that. And I, I happen to be in, in one of those cases for right now as we speak where we are renovating a complete shopping center. I'm looking at it. Uh, I mean, I, I have my lease signed for a 10,000 suite. And when I first got into it, I mean, I was into, you know, all the residential and commercial, mostly on the multifamily side uh, of yeah. leases. But gosh, I mean, it was a completely new experience. And I felt like I just didn't know much. I mean, you know, rent is a rent is a rent. I mean, what's the rent commencement date or what's this TI? So could you maybe help us understand, Cody, as to what are some of those terms within the leases that someone should be familiar with that let's say if I'm taking over uh, a office building or a uh, or mostly the office or like a retail uh, shopping center for that matter. Some of the terms within the leases are key that are, you know, perhaps very different from multifamily that someone should be aware of and they have a, you know, sort of a tangible impact on how a deal may be structured. Could you give us some guidance on those topics, uh, Cody? No, absolutely. And and you're right. You know, what people don't realize when they buy these office buildings is not just the tenant improvement is so expensive. It's, it can be very, very expensive for office, but the commissions are very high in many cases. Sure. And mm -hmm. so those can really eat you alive. Uh, you know, when you take the tenant improvements, the commissions, and that doesn't even include time on market, which some of these spaces, depending on how they're set up can sit for a long time. And so, uh, those are all very, very important factors, uh, like you said, uh, when considering an office building and moving forward on it. You know, as far as some of these leases go, um, you know, especially with office and industrial, you've got a plethora, a, a wide range of leases where these things can be anywhere from a full service lease, a full service gross where, you know, you as the landlord are paying for the tenant's electricity, you're paying for their janitorial, you're paying for everything. Uh, mm -hmm. to where going down to a triple net, you know, where basically they're just paying their base, they're paying you their base rent and then paying the portion of the taxes, insurance and common area maintenance. Right. There's modified gross leases where, you know, maybe they're paying a portion of their electricity. You can have a, you know, expense stop or a base year uh, mm -hmm. on some of those leases to where they, if the expenses on the building go up, the operating ex expenses, you can uh, bill back for a portion of that annually from some of these guys. And so, uh, understanding those notions and, and what can be put in those leases. And it's area driven. It's area and class driven. So sure. class mm -hmm. B and C and A, they all have different types of leases a lot of times. And so you're not going to see much triple net or, or double net on the class B space at all. Mm -hmm. And so that's when you're going to start getting into those funky style leases of with base years and expense stops and modified gross. And so uh, understanding what kind of leases you can do and how you can push those leases to uh, help get some reimbursements are very, very important. And so that's area and, 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 and asset class, A, B, and C driven. 
Thank you. Thank you, Cody. I appreciate that clarification. And for yeah. view, viewers who may not know, uh, I mean, uh, I personally, for example, I don't know what a double net lease is. Uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I always thought that, hey, triple net. And I know uh, when we signed our lease for our swing franchise, um, you know, there was always a cap on uh, on a percentage basis that how much the landlord can raise the cam, which is the common area maintenance. And that's that's another backdoor way of sometimes how landlord can increase uh, uh, the tenant's rent, uh, which, you know, the cam tends to be varying portion from year to year, right? So that was sort of the modified cap that you can put on, right? But what is a double, uh, you know, double end, uh, end lease that you that you are saying? Like, what, what are the sort of the uh, differences between for somebody who may not know? So, and, and you're right. And that's always something that a lot of people, I think, uh, get confused on and they'll think, oh, I have a, I have a triple net lease. I have, you know, the tenant takes care of everything when in fact they don't. Uh, or they have a double net and they think they do when in fact they don't. The best lease that you can get is an absolute net lease. And an, ab mm -hmm. an absolute net lease means the tenant not only pays for the taxes, insurance, commentary maintenance, they also take care of the roof and structure which you actually, a lot of people will say, hey, this is a triple net lease. And technically, you know, it's, they're supposed to, but a lot of people will classify something as a triple net lease when it's not a triple net lease at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's whenever getting down and reading those leases and understanding those is very, very important. And so that's why I say a lot of my guys here came from the leasing industry because that's something that we have to explain to people on a daily basis. And so when, oh, you're, when, mm -hmm. when your nets go from triple net to double net to single net, that's basically more responsibility going on the landlord as you go down that. And so understanding, understanding that and, and what's put in those, because, you know, you'll have one where somebody will say it's a triple net, but, you know, really the landlord's paying for, you know, the landscaping and other items. And so uh, it's, it's a broad term that's used that mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people don't um, really look into and see that it's not a triple net lease. We were actually, we just listed a, a building a while back ago and the landlord said it's a triple net lease. Mm. Well, when we, when we looked through it, I said, this thing is not a triple net lease at all. I mean, uh, you've got right. a lot of responsibility in this lease. And so, but he thought that it was a triple net lease. Interesting. Another mm. agent told him it was, but it was not. And so uh, they just didn't understand it. So understanding this is very, very important. And as you go down the line, at least a lot of times won't spell out that it's a single net lease, a double net lease or a triple net lease. They, like, they don't spell out that way. And so that's just a term that a lot of uh, agents and brokers use to classify the type of lease. Interesting. So uh, it, to summarize, I think, Cody, you're saying that a triple net is a uh, uh, sort of a measure where I think the tenant is responsible pretty much for everything and landlord minimally for paying his own taxes and things like that. But of course, those are again uh, given to him by tenants as well. But definitely is in details. There's no such you know, highlight or a headline saying, oh, this is a triple net lease, this is a double net lease. It's really the provisions and all the clauses within the lease that dictate that, oh, this could be a, perhaps a modified, you know, double uh, and lease and things of that. Would that, would that be correct? Absolutely, yeah. When you open up a lease, a lease will really never say, hey, this is a triple net lease. It won't say it. It'll right. just classify what's going on, and sure. so it's the agent's job to, to uh, right. you know, 
tell the person, hey, this is the type of lease it is. And so, but the best type of lease that you can get, uh, and you really don't ever see it in office or industrial, uh, you'll see it more in retail, is an absolute net. Um, and that's the best type of lease you can do. And that's what a lot of people, we had a guy who owned a heavy multi-tenanted office building that was very management intensive. And he mm-hmm. wanted something that had no management, no anything. And so we stuck him in an absolute long-term net lease. And, uh, you know, they're just cash flowing from that. Their return isn't as high. Uh, but it's a lot less headache. And so sometimes that's worth the money. <laughs> and this is where I think, as you pointed out, that a experienced, knowledgeable broker and, uh, and a team like yours, uh, you know, is, is worth its weight that sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And knowing from my brief experience, uh, you know, doing the leasing, I was pulling my hairs uh, uh, and, you, you know, like, constantly like looking at it saying back and forth the negotiation with my attorney and things like that and i and i absolutely i mean i i i'm so thankful that i had my uh, retail broker uh, along my shoulder to guide me but uh, boy i mean it is a completely different ball game when it comes to you know leasing and things like that now uh, cody another related question i had is the medical buildings right like what what goes into those i know those are all very specialized uh, use buildings like could you share some details about uh, you know like a per square foot price that you see or within the medical industry like what sort of uses allowed and things like that because uh, viewers would love to hear what goes into uh, the medical side of the house for as far as the commercial properties go yeah, no, absolutely. And, and we do quite a bit of medical here, uh, mm-hmm. medical net lease, medical multi-tenant. And so uh, that's something that's very, very popular uh, for investors because a lot of that stuff can be hands off. You can get mm-hmm. good, you know, triple net leases on a lot of those guys. And so mm-hmm. what you'll see on the medical side is a lot of times a higher rental rate, uh, which will then reflect a higher price per square foot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've done medical anywhere from, you know, $200 a foot up to $400 per square foot. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's a price that ranges a lot and those are really sold on the cap rate, uh, almost, mm-hmm. almost like retail. And so, mm-hmm. uh, those, those go at retail pricing a, a lot of times. And so they kind of go within both hands. You know, a lot of people are of the belief that, you know, these medical tenants stay there for a long time, like a dental office and whatnot. And so, mm-hmm. Uh, that's why so many people invest in these and because, you know, some of them believe they're also recession proof. And, uh, you know, even with we the coronavirus that, you know, we're going through right now, many of those guys have been able to stay open. Some haven't, you know, I, I know a lot of dentist offices weren't allowed to. And so, sure. mm-hmm. uh, but for the most part, a lot of these guys were. So people look for, you know, dialysis centers, uh, general practitioners, surgery centers. Uh, the medical side is also very, very complex, especially when it comes to uh, releasing. And so if you look at a medical, it's very important to align yourself with uh, an agent that knows and understand that product, even if it's fully leased, just mm-hmm. somebody that can at least tell you, hey, uh, if this tenant were to bail, this is how much it'll cost you. And this is how long it would take you to release this project. And so right, uh, right. no one understand that's uh, also very key and important. Right. And another thing, I think one thing I have noticed is that in a lot of industrial offices is the the notice period is pretty long. Like you, you generally have to give like an advanced 13 month or to a year notice uh, so that, you know, the both parties can do what they need to do in terms of, you know, the next phase planning of what you're going to do. So now, uh, Cody, uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, you have been in the Dallas-Fort Worth market for a decade now, you know, and um, I know that 
how much growth that has happened, the amount of uh, corporations, headquarters that have moved in. Uh, give us a sense of what the uh, Dallas market was like, you know, back, let's say, two decades ago. And I know there is a record amount of new development as well. Uh, you know, I hear like millions and millions of square foot of office uh, space that's also being built. Uh, so give us a sense of, you know, where the market is and uh, are we at the high point of the cycle uh, and is it going to be like an expansion still or are, or is it like a hyper supply of office space now? And maybe, you know, after that, I'll, I'll kind of turn this uh, uh, discussion into, you know, where we are with the pandemic and what's going to entail. So give us a sense of right now, historically, uh, how the Fort Worth uh, submarket was and where it is now and where do you see it going? Well, that's a great question. Uh, a lot of people ask that. And so, you know, I will tell you, you know, uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, there were a lot less cars sure. uh, out here, you know, uh, we we have a lot more tollways out here now as well. So, sure. uh, but no, the growth out here has been tremendous. Uh, you know, a lot of that's due to the, uh, you know, very, very powerful Texas economy and, and, you know, the cost of living down here and, and how business is done and, and what some of these uh, counties, uh, cities and state can offer some of these tents. That's why you have people like, you know, State Farm, Facebook, uh, Toyota that have, you know, brought really large headquarters out yeah. here. And so I think you're gonna continue to see that expansion. I even saw, uh, you know, whether you're a fan of it or not, I saw Elon Musk is, is looking at some stuff out here and mm -hmm. uh, maybe gonna bring a Tesla plant out here possibly uh, to North Texas or Austin. So I, I think you're going to continue to see that surge um, from other states to out here. And that's what has helped drive the North Texas economy Sure, um, is a lot of those companies that are coming out here. And so uh, I think the outlook is good, but yeah, no, it's, it's changed drastically. Um, you know, like I said earlier, there's, you know, uh, still about 7 million more office building square feet that is under construction out here. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, that is still going on. And so uh, the projections look very, very good. Yes, the pandemic slowed it down a little bit, but uh, from what I'm seeing and hearing, you know, it was, you know, really just a, a hiccup. And yeah, it's going to change how some business is done in certain aspects. But sure. as far as a lot of the constructions go, uh, you know, those guys are, are still building. Um, I know it's slowed down in many sectors, but mm -hmm. uh, like I said, the North Texas economy, you know, we're not uh, out here in Dallas-Fort Worth. We're not as reliant on oil and gas sure. as, say, Houston and other cities in Texas sure. are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, our economy up here is very business driven. Right, right, right. And, and as you said, I think everybody wants a piece of Texas. I mean, you know, all the big corporation, it's a business friendly state, uh, whether, you yeah. know, you talk about office properties. Uh, I mean, in general, it's a very business friendly from a commercial standpoint. So now, uh, Cody, uh, turning uh, uh, things a little bit here that, as you know, that the pandemic that has hit upon us, you know, it's, it's a pretty much a health crisis, a business crisis that has hit Main Street. Uh, I know you are in an extremely thriving market, but uh, if we think globally or just within US wide in general, like, um, you know, companies are downsizing as you imagined, right? 
especially in the office space, people are logging on to online meetings and doing a lot of work from home, you know, attending meetings remotely, electronically and things like that, right? Uh, what is your take on specifically, I'm curious about the office sector, because I imagine that industrial perhaps might be robust because still, you know, businesses have to run and things like that. Uh, but office sector is the one that uh, I would like to get your expert uh, thoughts on as to what do you think is going to happen uh, in general as we move forward, uh, you know, towards some new normal in this uh, pandemic uh, era? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you're right, the industrial side um, out here is still uh, is doing very, very well. The supply chain side is, is, is doing great. We've got a lot of big uh, key companies out here, you know, Amazon's got a, a huge uh, facility up here and sure. um, mm -hmm. and they've got a lot of smaller uh, little distribution centers as well. So on the office side, you know, I, I have talked to many companies that occupy larger spaces and since they were forced to send their uh, workers to work from home, they've found new technologies, new ways to work and uh, several of them have told me that they don't need that much office space anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, one thing one thing to keep in mind is, you know, there, there still are companies that are moving out here. There's still a lot of back office work that is done with a lot of these companies, whether they're retailers, supply chains, hotels, whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that the co-working operators, you know, that's a sector out here, the flexible workspace. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. Those guys have been expanding like crazy out here over the past couple of years. And I know some of those guys have been hit hard because of that, but uh, many of those guys' projections are uh, very, very good and strong, and I think they're going to probably pick up uh, quite a bit of business from some of these larger companies as well. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I believe in the office sector out here. I think it, um, you know, will take. It's it's taken a small dip, but uh, I believe it will come back. Um, you know, I know that some of these uh, tenants and 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 whatnot, they are going to allocate for a little bit more square footage per person. Uh, compared to what they used to just to help sure. with a little more social distancing inside of the office. And so, mm. you know, that will take up some more square footage, but I know, I know quite a few tenants that are expanding uh, right mm -hmm. now. And so um, I think out here, it's very, very good. You'll probably see a lot of uh, a lot more hurt in some of the other States like Washington and, and whatnot that, uh, you know, really cram a lot of those folks into there that are getting re hit really hard with this coronavirus. Sure. So they're probably going to take a little bit more hit. Um, you know, I know the retail and hospitality sector out here has taken uh, a good hit, but um, you know they're starting to reopen Texas. They're getting things back back going. They're 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 putting fuel in the tank, and so um, you know it, things are looking very good and very positive out here, uh, really all around. I can tell you that. Awesome. Awesome. And I know, uh, Cody, I mean, you are in a blessed state where I think it's a roaring economy. Everybody's moving in. That's not to say that it's the same, uh, you know, in a lot of other states. I think a recent study was done where, uh, you know, Texas came out at the very top where uh, the state would recover in general from an occupancy and economic per, uh, per se. It will recover far more earlier or perhaps within the top two states uh, in, in tying with Florida for that matter, that they will recover very quickly. But it's safe to say that uh, the pain of, uh, you know, what has happened is going to linger in other markets. W would you agree? Uh, absolutely. I, I do all across the board. And look, you know, if if some of those other big key states, you know, are getting hurt, um, there's no doubt it, it, there's a trickle down effect. And so, 
but as far as um, you know, Texas goes, I mean, look, a lot of Texas has been getting pummeled with the oil and gas issues right now. Mm-hmm. And so I know West Texas, which is really, really heavy oil and gas driven, um, there's a lot of issues going on out there right now. Now it's starting to look a little better because it, it seems his oil's bottomed out and um, they're trying to uh, figure out how to reinfuse a lot of those companies and, and, and whatnot. And as the economy as a whole starts to move again, uh, that will help out. But, uh, you know, yes, you're absolutely right. You know, there are many states that are going to see long lasting effects. Um, and we will see effects out here. There's no question about it. It's just our economy is uh, very business driven, very, very, very friendly to out of state business as well. And so that's what helps them out so much down here. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for all your expert advice, uh, Cody. Uh, I know you are a go-to person when it comes to uh, leasing brokerage of these deals. Uh, help us, uh, uh, you know, uh, tell our listeners as to where they can find you and your team. Yeah, so we're very, very easy to find uh, down here in the great state of Texas. Uh, you can go to TexasOfficeInvestments.com. Um, our office line is 817-840-0055. And and there's always somebody around and we love office and industrial and we got a good, actually we've got a good self storage and multifamily and retail group here as well. So awesome. uh, mm-hmm. as far as commercial goes, I mean, you know, we cover it all. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. You are a go-to person. Uh, and I know who to call uh, when some of these needs arise. So I appreciate your time, Cody, today. I wish you luck and go Texas, uh, go big, go Texas. And uh, I love to, you know, interact with you as we move through the years and look forward to hearing more uh, interesting uh, brokerage stories from you. Thank you, Pete. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.